tortoise. Succession has arguably been the biggest breakout TV show of the last five years for its whip-sharp satire of the super-rich and the media. And here, showrunner and creator Jesse Armstrong speaks to the former Vanity Fair editor, Tina Brown, about his inspirations. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Welcome. So, so much ink has obviously been expended on the Roy family being modelled on the dynamics, you know, of the Rupert Murdoch uh, clan. And of course, there's also a huge dollop of Sumner Redstone, actually, in and many others, I'm sure, in the uh, you know, concoction of, of, the, of the Logan Roy character. But so why did you become so fascinated by these late life, you know, media mastodons? <laughs> uh, uh, I think people who are interested in the show, maybe to an unusual degree, might know that I wrote a, I wrote a screenplay about the actual about Rupert Murdoch and his family a long time ago in the, in the 2010s. And um, so I guess that's when I started thinking about doing something in this area. Um, latterly, it was hard to get that show, that, that, that it was really a, a screenplay made. Um, and so a long time later, I, it, was reading, it was reading journalism, actually. It was reading um, uh, Tom Bower's book on uh, Maxwell, um, some of the Redstone's own book on himself, <laughs> um, which is not a great read, but the, and the Jinx, the TV show on uh, HBO, um, also Tom Bower's uh, Conrad Black. Anyway, I think there was, it's, and the Redstone, um, as we said, it, it started to feel like there were some common psychological factors amongst these people. Um, so, I, which were? Which were, I, I the, the first massive one, that struck me is actually just about mortality in that both Sumner Redstone and um, Rupert Murdoch have made jokes about not wanting to have to pick a successor because they wanted to live forever. And Alas, it seems to be true. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's a joke, but I think it's an impulse we all feel a bit that you can't really believe it's, it's going to all be over. And I guess their tremendous uh, appetite for deal-making and appetite for, for, for life in some ways uh, slightly disgusting ways in Sumner's <laughs> case um, uh, was very felt very visceral. So uh, yeah, those, those, that was the first big thing that struck me right. about their their commonalities. So one thing you said to me, which I was rather enchanted by, was that you actually read Harry's book, Good Times, Bad Times, when you were prepping, you know, to do the show. Actually, the other day I found this wonderful picture of Harry with the then editor of the Times, William Rees-Mogg. <laughs> At the time that the deal with Rupert was, was uh, that was the press conference to announce that Rupert was in charge. I think Harry's reaction is very clear. But <laughs> what, what did you get out of, out of Good Times, Bad Times? Well, it's a great book. It's a great read, as you're probably um, very aware. And so I was honored to be invited along. It's, it's a great read. All the really insidery. I'm not a great one for, for in-person research. I prefer secondary stuff. Um, I just do, but you know, full disclosure. Andrew Neil's book, and and especially Good Times, Bad Times. The seeing what it's like to be inside, getting bought, and to be lied to, and and 
to have somebody who will use untruths straight to other people's faces, it's, an, it's like a superpower if you're able to do yeah. that and be convincing. And I think possibly even believe it yourself as you're saying it, it's so powerful. And to read a, you know, an intelligent person's, very intelligent person's experience of being somewhat seduced, somewhat bullied, yes, somewhat positioned, it's, there's a wealth of material that if you change all the names and all the dates and the different and the, the business organizations, you can draw on to steal stories. But more than that, that's that strong sense of what it's like to be seduced by that to be seduced power. and to be yeah. to be lied to. Yeah, fascinating. Um, well, of course, the great thing about I mean, the fascinating thing about succession has been the way that it's both mirrored, you know, transmuted and predicted real life at every turn. It's really been remarkable how you know things keep happening that appear in the show and vice versa. What for you has been the most amazing life imitates succession moment as you've been on this long journey? I, mean, I, I loved it when, he, when Roman's rocket blows up and then just a few weeks later, you know, Elon's musket, musket <laughs> rocket blows up. Yeah, a lot happens in the show. And therefore, I think occasionally you're going to accidentally throw, you know, we're throwing a lot of darts at the dartboard and some of them are going to hit if that's what it is. It isn't our intention to sort of predict reality. And most of the stuff that I think sometimes one feels we predicted things were, it, it's all in the papers. It's all, you know, if you read the FT every day, these deals are happening. The, the, the stuff is happening. I don't think we are, have a particular degree of prophecy. We're just taking stuff kind of ripped from, often these deal shapes, you know, there's, there's one in the, in the show that people are watching, who are watching it at the moment. I think probably the biggest inspiration for the, there's a, a tech company is trying to buy the, you know, the subject of the show, Logan Roy's company. And I think the AOL Time Warner deal is the, the best real life analog. And that's, I can't remember how many years ago, but it's so, a while. So true. And it was there, another there was, one of these. Tech, tech's coming, Absolutely. tech's, we need to yeah. buy. Another one of these massive mistakes of huge blow ups. Um, so, I mean, obviously I'm fascinated by your team and how they get into this process. I mean, they're obviously remarkable, all of them. They, they seem to be able to see round corners. I mean, how, are they all media junkies? Are they all obsessed with media or are they just are your team that work for you, your writer's room? My fellow writers, <sighs> um, a bit. We, I encourage, I've always encouraged everyone to read widely and, you know, we have a bit of a reading list that's, that's um, uh, I encourage people to read and they're all media literate. They don't have, you don't have to be a media studies professor to enter the writing room. You can come with other skills as well because it's equally important to know about family dynamics and uh, what men and women are like and work in all sorts of ways. So, yeah, and, and actually Marissa Ma, who used to work at the Wall Street Journal, is here and she will come in and set us right if we are going wildly um, off beam. So, so I, we try and I think mainly talk about family dynamics, the architecture of the deals, we can, as long as it feels broadly right, we can figure out later. I mean, I feel that one of the inevitable sort of messages of succession is that we sort of need these big alpha business bastards, if I may, if I may summarize it, you know, to create these behemoth companies. And you see how much that, that company and that family, those dynamics absolutely need Logan Roy, you know, as the Sun King at the center of it, who does also know a tremendous amount about business, which the kids totally don't. Um, what are, your, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, is, are these? I mean, you know, look at these big media people. Is this is this what we what is required? You have to be like a Logan Roy. Oh, it's 
that's difficult and I, I hope it the show is uh, doesn't sell you one single thing so if that's what you take from it more Logan Roy's good luck um. <laughs> I know well it's just that you know this company falls apart without him so I mean it's 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 fascinating to see that dynamic yeah I guess talent is sprayed around in unusual ways and the the kids you know Shari Redstone seems to be doing a decent job in holding together CBS Paramount I, it's possible but it's You've got to be lucky to inherit the skills necessary to, you know, run a, a large media organization, right? Well, I know, but one of my favorite scenes of all in the show, and I, you know, I've replayed it so many times, is when the kids in their desperate bid to get out of their father's realm and create their own media platform talk about their ideas for a new digital startup they call The Hundred, which they hilariously call Substack meets Masterclass meets The Economist meets The New Yorker, right? <laughs> okay, so. We're looking for investment partners for a revolutionary new media brand that's going to redefine news for the 21st century. It's an indispensable, bespoke information hub. And then I go, the hundred greatest experts, best writers, top minds in every field from Israel-Palestine to AI to Michelin restaurants, one-stop info shop, high calorie info gonna, snacks. I'm just going to take that. Okay. call. <laughs> Oh, God. At the end of that episode, the kids in their incredible distractibility suddenly dump the hundred completely and then instead outbid their father for you know, a huge old media property, uh, the Pierce uh, Company. And, you know, he has this incredible line, Logan, which he says to the kids, uh, and he utters this devastating comment to them. He says, I love you, but you are not serious people. <laughs> Very profound, I think. Um, it's such two different ways of looking at the word. Well, talk about the writing of that scene. Of that one? Well, that one, and also you're not serious Not people. serious people. Um, I sometimes sort of clam up a bit when I try and decode it or say what we were trying to say, but I can talk a bit about it. That one, I guess the only thing to say about that is I saw some commentary about what a bunch of assholes they are and stupid uh, <laughs> media brand. I guess in the, in the writer's room, hopefully once we've got the idea, we peer over the edge into sort of satire and, a, and, and ludicrous ways of pitching it. But it's not like we had 20 other better media ideas in our room. We were like, <laughs> well, if you were going to try and do something, can you, you know, and you know a lot of people and you pull something together, kind of will this do? Uh, so I think we have a certain amount of sympathy with them. It's hard, right? I've got to do a new media brand. And, oh, it'd be like my dad. <laughs> so, so we're not looking down on them thinking, oh, Obviously, what we want you to do with a new media brand is <laughs> yeah. we, don't, we don't have the answer. So we're, I guess we're on, on some level on the same side as them and then are able to maybe um, put our fingers in their wounds a little bit and whittle them around a little bit to, 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 to enjoy how, how painful it is to be a, a, the son of someone powerful and trying to create your own um, sphere. You're not serious people? Yeah. Um, that episode was written by um, Tony Roach and Susan Sunhi Stanton, who colleagues from the writers' room, and everything gets worked on all together. But we, I guess, we the one interesting thing about that was that we knew that that would be a very significant conversation for people who know the show, there, the, the, and that um, it would be an important moment. And so we knew that, and it was a question of giving that due weight, but not coming back and rewriting it in the light of subsequent events. Mm, I see, very... That sounds very opaque. Oh, yes, I could be more interesting very, if I gave spoilers. <laughs> okay. 
I'm also fascinated by the fact, I mean, you're British, and this is such sort of fine American satire. I mean, you, you know, the room I know is a big mix of sort of American and English, and of course, the staff, the cast are the same, and you've got uh, Tom, who's British, and Sarah Snook, who's Australian, and it's an extraordinary mix. But I'm also, but I am very intrigued about how close and, and fine, you know, the satire is of sort of the American billionaire class and, and the American media class. I mean, how do you, as, as you know, someone who doesn't live in America, how, how, how do you get that so finely tuned? Well, thank you. Um, I did American studies as a degree. doesn't necessarily make you, you know, make your ear perfect for American speech rhythms, but it's all right. And I've helped. Uh, I've worked there quite a bit. And we, we, although the show is written, some people may know in the UK, we go and make it in the US. So I'm for six months of the, each year, I'm very much watching Fox and Tucker at night to get filled up on all the news. Not anymore. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and then also just, you know, uh, book journalism and long form journalism, when sometimes people come and say, did you, you must have spoken to, you know, Shari or James or Lachlan to get this detail. And you're like, uh, do you look at Vanity Fair? Do you look at what they, their PRs are saying in public every day about each other? It's it's all there. There's no, there's no secrets. I mean, there, I'm sure there are secrets, but there's so much yeah. abundance of, of stuff in the public realm. So that's what we tune into. You're just paying attention. That's the thing. <laughs> well, I, one of the thrilling things, I think, I think one of the reasons people just love and are so addicted to the show as well, is just sort of how transgressive, in a way, the dialogue is. I mean, these, the, you manage to sort of have them talking exactly how these people do talk and think without any, in any kind of unfiltered fashion, you know, without any of the sort of post-Me Too, you know, hyper-policed media landscape kind of dialogue. And, I mean, this is one, another one of my favorite scenes where you see Logan's hapless nephew, Greg, who's always trying to curry favor with the immediate family, defending his decision to, decision to Logan's go-to gatekeeper and latest mistress, Kerry, to bring a new date to Logan's 80th birthday party. <laughs> you know what's coming, right? <laughs> so I guess we should... Hi, hi, welcome. Welcome, hey. Greg. Hey, Carrie. This is uh, Bridget. Bridget, this is Carrie, Logan's... Friend, assistant, and advisor. Friend, assistant, and advisor. Hey, I'm Bridget. Hi, Bridget. So great to meet you. Um, Greg, let me and you grab Bridget a drink, yeah? Oh, yeah? Okay, so okay. excuse us, Bridget. All right. <clears throat> I'm sorry, we'll be right back. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. Make yourself at home. Don't worry about it. Who was this, Greg? That's my date. Uh-huh, right, but who is she? I brought a date. That's okay, right? What's her name? What's her full name? Bridget. Is it random fuck? Bridget random fuck? You know, is she from the apps, Greg? I really like her. I, I might have fallen for her. Oh, that's great. How many previous dates have you had? Um, Carrie, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure this is appropriate. We're not a fucking Shake Shack, Craig. This isn't a pre-fuck party. It's a birthday party. And uh, I am a cousin. I get a plus one. I'm I'm like an honorary kid. Well, you're an honorary kid. Yeah. I mean, Marsha once said that I was oh, always. Oh, Marsha's not here. She's in Milan shopping forever. <laughs> I mean, Bridget, random fuck. I mean, seriously. How do you come up with it? <laughs> well, we t it takes a hell of a long time as people will see how eloquent I am on stage speaking live. It, we, I need to go back to the page <laughs> a lot to come up with the good stuff uh, and also spend, you know, five, six months in the writer's room. Not, we don't write the episodes there, nor do we 
on, except on rare occasions, come up with lines like that, but discussing the emotional shape and the arcs. And then we go away and write the episodes and rewrite and rewrite. And I, then I take a look at things. And then also for something like that on the day, um, something I learned from doing um, The Thick of It with Armando uh, and Simon and Tony is, is we, would, we have lots of alternative lines to feed in. So I don't know if that was one of them, but we might have a few different names to throw uh, at, uh, um, at the actor to, to, to feed in. So yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of work, which is sort of depressing to hear. You want to feel like they will improvise it all and it's easy. And sometimes it is, but a lot of it is hard work. That's thrilling to hear, actually. <laughs> I'm also fascinated that, you know, we all so in, identify and, and so kind of hold this family now close to us in terms of how we think about them. It's remarkable to know and read, anyway, I did, that originally you were going to cast Jeremy Strong as, as Roman and, and the actor playing Roman as Jeremy, as, as, as um, uh, Kendall, to, which seems inconceivable. How, how did such a thing happen that you would ever have conceived those two highly different actors who seem absolutely wedded to those roles now in their opposites, essentially. I think how that worked was that um, uh, Adam McKay, had, who wrote, directed the pilot, and uh, did the big short, amongst other things, Vice. And, uh, he, he'd worked with Jeremy in a small part on, uh, previously uh, on the big short, and was like, you've basically got to have this guy in the show. Like, it doesn't matter what part, he's gonna, he should be in it. And I, I looked at his work and thought, he is great. And so we, then we were like, oh, well, maybe he is Roman. I think how it happened was that then, I think Kieran was the first person who auditioned. Um, as soon as he did an audition, you were like, well, no, he's got the part. He is, he is that guy, as, as, you know, he just did it. And so uh, it, I guess it took a while for us to decide that Jeremy would be Kendall. Anyway, that's how it went. Amazing. Well, you're closing up the succession shop just as sort of chaos and despair is reigning all over the media at the moment. And visionaries are looking hapless and hopeless. Um, the tech billionaire in the show, Lucas Matson, uh, played by Alexander Skarsgård, you know, he's another killer, but he's just a bloodless one, right? <laughs> I mean, what is the difference between, in the end, a Peter Matson and a Logan Roy? What is the difference between, well... Uh, and who I, would you rather be running our world? In <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> I think I think I turn that over to your more qualified audience. We're just uh, yeah. We, you know, I was a sitcom writer originally, and so I'm hoping to make you laugh. Um, I, I, don't, I take the fifth on who, who would be better. I, I, I prefer neither of them. Is that an option? Yeah, it definitely is an option. All right. Well, Jesse, thank you. This has been the most wonderful. Thank you. Honour to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Truth Tellers from Tortoise Media in partnership with the Sahari Evans Global Summit in Investigative Journalism. Tina Brown Media, Reuters and Durham University. Tortoise is a newsroom dedicated to slow news and to support investigative journalism you can join Tortoise as a member by going to tortoisemedia.com forward slash slowdown. Tortoise.